Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as we talked about last week, Jesus has just finished listing the Beatitudes uh, as he's introducing his Sermon on the Mount He had just told them about the attitudes that make one happy or blessed. And now, beginning with verse 13, Jesus summarizes the importance of living according to God's ways, according to kingdom values, while they go about their everyday business and their everyday lives. The followers of Jesus are to uniquely live out their faith, following God's commands, faithfully and fully, all in the open for the world to see, and by doing so, They will be a good influence for the world around them. They will become salt and light to the world. Unfortunately, so often Christians uh, today are huddled in their churches or in church groups or instead of mixing it up with the world, they, they are isolated themselves into what many have called a Christian ghetto. Uh, they only hang around like-minded people and they withhold their influence and they withhold their opinions and do not engage the broader culture or discussions of the day. Uh, Here in this very familiar gospel passage, Jesus is encouraging his disciples to do what makes sense for them as disciples of Jesus to mix mix it up with the world in order to bring life-affirming values the values of God's will to bear on people everywhere, glorifying the Father and drawing others to worship and to praise him as they live out their lives publicly and their faith publicly for the world to see. What you might find surprising this morning in this passage is not just the, uh, it's just descriptive of who kingdom citizens are, but it's also descriptive of who Jesus is. We're so used to this passage and the song, This Little Light of Mine, that we go immediately to the self when we hear, uh, I am the salt, of the salt of the earth, I am the light of the world. That's what we think. It's just about me. But ultimately, of course, it's about Jesus, who is the true salt and light. And he shows us the way. Um, and he shows us how to be salt and light in the world. 
by following the good deeds he's about to lay out in the Sermon on the Mount and talk about. As you live this way, you're being salt and light to the world. So first, let's take a look at these analogies that uh, Jesus is showing us about salt and light. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus begins in verse 13. But if it's, but the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the salt of the earth. The you there is in a very emphatic position, stressing the word. You are the salt of the earth. The disciples are uniquely the salt of the earth, which is probably including, remember, the group of people Jesus had just delivered from demons and healed and saved, and they've been following Jesus up the mountainside, too. It probably includes them, too. Y'all, y'all are the salt of the earth. And even though they may be persecuted and struggle at times because they follow Jesus, they must continue to be who they were meant to be and who they were redeemed to be, to remember their purpose in the world and their place in the world to fulfill their life-giving purpose for all kinds of people in all kinds of places. It's downright inconceivable that salt would become something other than what it was meant to be, to be salt. Salt is a unique and distinctive flavoring and preservative in the world, and so should the followers of Jesus. And this is what Jesus is getting at. The salt in Jesus' day was often taken from the Dead Sea. As the water evaporated, it left salt, but it also left another mineral called gypsum. It kind of looks like salt. So you had these two minerals that kind of looked the same, but they were not the same. Uh, So for the disciples to lose their saltiness would mean they'd lose their primary identity and purpose. Uh, They would become useless in preserving culture and promoting goodness and spiritual health in the world if they just looked like the rest of the world, right? They started to taste like the rest of the world. They started to taste like gypsum instead of salt. Which I, I've never tasted gypsum before, so I don't know if it has its flavor or not. If anyone does, you can let me know. Uh, there's no reason to have uh, salt in the house unless you're going to mix it in with your cooking. Unless, unless you're going to add flavor to your food or to help bring out the robust flavors of your recipe or even just to preserve food. If you accidentally bought gypsum at the grocery store, well... It may not be good for much in your kitchen, except to be thrown out on the icy sidewalk, you know, to add some traction. Uh, But I'm not sure if that was really an issue for Israel. Sodium chloride. It's the only mineral that I'm aware of that people, that humans, can just pull right out of the earth and ingest, you know, start eating. Our bodies need it, though. Human bodies vitally need it. Many foods are tasteless and bland without it. Uh, we need it for everyday life, no matter who you are, no matter where you live. At, uh, at one time, it was even exchanged as money. People fought wars over salt. Major trade routes in the world were designed around the salt trade. Uh, many of us use salt to clean the water in our, our homes today, too. Well, eggs, for example, they'd, without salt, they'd just be gross, wouldn't they? <laughs> you never put salt on eggs? I don't know. Salt is vitally important, but it must be used, right? It must be mixed in with your food or your water or whatever in order for it to be useful or helpful. It can't just stay in the salt shaker. It can't just stay in the cupboard. The disciples of Jesus can't just stay locked away either forever. They can't stay locked away in their homes or Christian schools and never rubbing shoulders with the world, with people who think differently than they do. 
No contact means no impact. No contact with the world, with people in the world, means no impact on them either. So we need to mix it up with the world, to be in the world, but not of the world. So suppose your husband asked you if you put salt in the water softener. And, and he said, no, but I have three bags sitting right next to it. Well, well, what good is that? If you have three bags of salt sitting right next to the water softener, but you never put it in. It's got to be poured into the water softener to be mixed in with the water in order to remove the impurities, to remove the minerals from the water in order for it to do any good. Now, the Greek word for saltiness, salt losing its saltiness here is moranos. Moranos, where we get the word moron in English, or foolish. Having a shaker of salt next to the stove but never using it, it's foolish. You may as well throw it out the window for people to walk on. So Jesus is calling his followers to do good works that benefit others, to be active in doing good, to be useful in your faith and your walk with the Lord in the world. So a disciple or follower of Jesus is still here in this world for a reason. God left us here for a reason, and God means for his people to work and play together with others in the world with the goal of having a positive impact on the world. He or she needs to be mixed into the culture and society in order to make the world a better place, in order to add flavor, in order to bring out the best, robust, complex combination of flavors that exist in people and cultures and places. Hopefully, Christians bring out the best in people, not the worst. Christians should add a distinctive flavor to ethics committees and school boards and economic councils and chambers of commerce and faculty meetings. Christians should add a delightful and hopeful point of view, a much-needed correction to unhealthy and harmful ways of thinking and being today and communicating or disagreeing today. But the believer cannot stay in the salt shaker. The purpose of salt, the purpose of a follower of Jesus is to be mixed in. To be mixed in. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are already. You are by nature of who you are as a follower of Jesus by grace. Jesus has declared his followers blessed. And now he declares them as a uniquely positive catalyst for the world. You are the salt of the earth. The purpose of salt, the purpose of the follower of Jesus, to be mixed in. And, and so, we, need, we, we just need to mix it up with the world, while at the same time never losing our chemical makeup, turning into useless gypsum instead of salt, a useful salt. Our primary identity is as a blood-bought saints of the living God. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says. You are the salt of the earth. So absolutely vital, so important to the well-being of the world today. Never forget who you are, no matter how bad things are getting inside of you, or inside of your culture, or how bad things are getting in your, your country or your world. Never forget who you are, follower of Jesus. Well, then Jesus goes on to say in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the second illustration of the same point, really. 
The main purpose of a lamp is to give light for everyone so they could see in the dark, so they could see where they're going and see what they're doing. A light is meant to illuminate. No one turns on a lamp only to put it in a closet or to hide it under a blanket. That's just moronic, right? It's foolish. It's useless. The point of turning on a light is to illuminate. If you... if it would be foolish to light a torch and then shove it under a rock. or, For example, a lighthouse. The purpose of a lighthouse is to shine brightly for people to see far and wide. A lighthouse is meant to be a beacon of light. It communicates a message too, right? And that message it communicates could be danger. Rocks ahead. This is shore for those who are out at sea. Or it could communicate direction. Not this way, go that way. right? The light communicates a message too. So in order that the world does not remain in darkness, the disciples must fulfill their purpose, their calling, to represent kingdom values wherever they work, wherever they shop or go to school. The followers of Jesus are the light that becomes the hope of the world because they're showing the world, they're lighting up the world to show the world a better way, a better place, a better way to be human, a better way to love, a better way to disagree, to communicate. So just as a lamp is placed in a room so that it benefits as many people as possible, so the disciples place themselves squarely in the world to be a blessing to as many people as possible and not hidden away in secret or quietly living out their lives so nobody knows who their real, true allegiance uh, is or where it lies. Like a lamp, they are meant to be useful. Not to be seen so that they get all of the glory and attention, but that the Father in heaven is praised and glorified. Living according to kingdom righteousness and godly ways, being in the world but not of it, they bring glory to God the Father. They bring attention to God and hopefully draw others to worship him. So next, Jesus reassures his disciples and others, especially the Pharisees, that he's not doing away with the past. The importance of God's law. God's righteous requirements for holy living in the presence of God are important for the believer today. He's not doing away with those things. The law of God is a light that all need to follow, an assault needed to preserve the holiness and righteousness in our world today. So Jesus highlights the importance of God's law, his Old Testament law here, and he's the fulfillment of that law. He's not going to put a bushel or a bowl over the light of God's good and gracious law. The good deeds of being salt and light um, means faithfully and openly living out the commandments. The Ten commandments, but Jesus says he's fulfilling the law and the prophets. So basically all of the Old Testament. Verse 17, Jesus continues saying, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets, something the Pharisees thought he was doing. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Twice here, Jesus is denying that uh, he's trying to do away with the law of God. He's not trying to abolish or annul or to repeal it. In fact, he says he has come to fulfill, to accomplish, to complete the law. In other words, Jesus is not teaching something that's really radically new or different than what the Jews already understood as being God's will for our lives. 
what he has to say and what he's going to say as he teaches in the Sermon on the Mount is very closely connected with, with what they already understood as God's will. In fact, Jesus here emphasizes both the keeping and teaching of the commandments, but not with the shallow understanding of the Pharisees and the scribes of the day. The law is more than just a set of rules to be followed. It's, it's more than just a, to compl- something to comply with. The deeper point and purpose of God's law, is the spirit of the law, is life-giving for the individual and for the community attempting to live in the presence of a holy God. That still applies for believers today. So not one jot or tittle, your old translations would say, Not one iota of the law will pass away. The smallest letters of the Greek and Hebrew alphabet, the the tiniest marks that are on the page will be upheld or fulfilled, Jesus says. To follow Jesus' interpretation of the law here in the Sermon on the Mount will mean keeping every jot and tittle of God's law. The, The Messiah of God himself will give an authoritative interpretation of God's law. For the followers of Jesus to be salt and light, they will need to be able to do more than just memorize the Ten Commandments, by the way. They'll need to do more than just memorize the Ten Commandments, which sadly to say, in today's world, many of us will probably have a hard time coming up with five, maybe, of the commandments. But they'll need to take it to a deeper level. They'll need to be able to understand the spirit and the true meaning of the law with with a depth that Jesus is about to explain and give. It's a greater holiness, a greater righteousness than these people who look like they're righteous because they just have the law memorized, right? Jesus is asking his followers to take the law to a deeper level. You have heard that it was said, do not murder, but I tell you, don't hate your brother or sister. Do not murder. We follow the law. I didn't kill anybody. It must be good. Well, Jesus says, well, have you ever hated somebody? It takes it to the heart level. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. Don't cheat on your spouse. Okay, I've never cheated on my spouse, but he says, but I say to you, don't lust in your heart. Don't lust in your heart. It comes back to a heart issue, not just avoiding adultery. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, retaliation, the law of retaliation. But I say unto you, do not retaliate, but love your enemies instead and pray for those who persecute you. Taking it deeper to a heart level, Christians will be learning to keep the law at a depth that far exceeds that of the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. Christians are learning to practice a new kind of righteousness, a deeper holiness, a greater holiness, a purity of heart, lives of integrity. Spirit-filled heart change will help this. And that's why Jesus says in verse 20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and everyone thought they were the most righteous people, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You've got to do better. You've got to go deeper than mere compliance. Heart needs to change. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were strictly following the letter of the law, but you, Christian, must follow the spirit of the law as well. And in so doing, you shall be salt of the earth. You shall be light to the world. Personal moral perfection is not what Jesus is getting at here. It's what the Pharisees were after. But by grace, working itself out in our life, a new kind of righteousness, a greater holiness 
begins to grow, to develop within us. It transforms the heart. It gives wings to the will of God in the world for good, the good of all, no matter where people come from. No, I don't think that I have come to abolish the law, Jesus says, but to fulfill it through a greater holiness that's being worked out through my disciples and in the world through the church. By keeping the law, living by it, you are being salt of the earth. You are being light of the world. You ever make that connection before? Between the salt, being salt and light, and following God's commands, and following his will. Salt is used for preserving, purifying, seasoning, and even fertilizing. Light is used for seeing in the dark, helping us not run into things, seeing danger ahead, and lighting the path so you know where you're going. Light is also, it's used for illuminating both what is wrong in the world, but also what is good and right and beautiful in the world, too. And that's what the follower of Jesus does. That's what a kingdom citizen does. Christians living their faith, following God's law, openly in the world, help preserve what is good and right and wholesome in the world and beautiful. They purify what is impure. They season conversations with a shake of patience. The shake of grace, love, truth. They fertilize moral character so that when it grows and develops, especially in one of our children that we're raising in the faith, we begin to see integrity in our families and the sense of right and wrong maybe among our politicians. And we see moral courage flourishing in our schools and our universities. Christians living out their faith openly in the world shine gospel light along dangerous paths, offering a warning, don't go there, don't do that, this is dangerous, this is unhealthy, this isn't good for you or or for anyone else. But living out openly in the world, you provide a beacon of hope for those who are lost and alone too. They also highlight all that is good, what is right, what is wholesome in the world, because as that great hymn says, God shines in all that's fair. God shines in all that's fair. As people of faith go about their everyday lives, living by kingdom values, they are being salt of the earth and light of the world, just by being who they are, opened and unashamed to say that they follow the crucified one. There's no need to be anxious or reactive to everything as Christians living in the world today. Only continue to engage the culture, continue to have conversations, to interact with people with different points of view, so important. And all the while holding on to your primary identity as a child of the one true king. If Christians never interact with non-Christian people, then they'll have no chance of reaching people with God's kingdom values, or the eternal hope of life, the eternal hope of eternal life that we have in Christ. No contact means no impact. It would be like putting a salt shaker on the table but never using it, or turning on a flashlight only to shove it under a pillow. That would be foolish, even moronic, to use a biblical word. God's good and perfect law is a blueprint for happy living in God's created world. People who are blessed follow it. Being salt and light in our world means mixing it up in the world so that God's people are being a positive influence and not just a reactive group of grumpy naysayers. Hopefully we're not that, a reactive group of grumpy naysayers. 
but a positive influence in the world for all. And that means being in genuine relationships with real people, listening well, treating others as you would want to be treated yourselves. May God grant us the grace and the moral courage to be who we were created to be and redeemed to be this week and always in all of our relationships, no matter where we work or play or go to school. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Would you pray with me? God of all, we offer you our lives this morning. Forgive us for withholding truth or light or grace even when the world around us has become all too comfortable with their sin, brokenness, and darkness. And we've become all too impatient and heartless in reacting to it. Move us by your spirit to be bold in our proclamation of the gospel, but also sensitive to the needs of the world. Help us to be eager to lend a helping hand to others in need. Thank you for the gifts of your grace, your good and perfect law that is life-giving, and for the community of faith called the church. Bless us one and all as we leave here today and continue to be the blessing in places in which you have planted us. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.